Hello, and welcome to Fresh Blood, a podcast about killing it in the age of ageism, where we prove that new blood does not necessarily equal young blood. I'll be your host, Jolie Downs. With over 20 years of executive recruiting experience, I've learned how much we need discussions around this issue. Thank you for joining us here on Fresh Blood. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Evie Goldfield. She is a fascinating and incredibly intelligent woman working as a program director with the National Science Foundation. She is literally on the forefront of promoting the progress of science. And really quickly, can I just give you my own personal thank you for that? Because it's even more important these days than ever. Evie spends her days working on concepts and scientific discoveries that, in all honesty, my mind can barely wrap its head around. So I am completely fascinated by your story and the work that you do. Please tell us a little bit about your background in industry, Evie. Well, thank you for inviting me to do this. I am a theoretical and a computational chemist. Now, many of you probably never have heard of such a thing. You've all heard of theoretical physicists, but theoretical chemists exist. There are quite a few of us. And we work on a lot of things. Most notably, many, many people are working on modeling and trying to understand from a computational point of view, the coronavirus that we are all learning to live with. So I earned my PhD later in life after my children were born. So entering a field later in life with a family and with a husband who was also making big career changes was not the easiest thing in the world, but I have had a good career. What was that like doing that at that point in time in your life? Doing a PhD later in life is challenging, but I also had a lot of advantages over younger people. I was very serious. I did everything very efficiently. So it was good preparation for later. Because at night, I had to come home and take care of the family. And so I would actually work later after the children were in bed. But I didn't have time for the kind of goofing off that a lot of graduate students do. And I also have very little patience for their complaining because they really didn't realize how, (laughs) in in many ways, how good they have at getting to actually work on things that interest you, if in fact you are interested. Yes, you had a good perspective on things, that's for sure. Yeah, you have a a more mature perspective. On the other hand, you don't have as much time to do the kind of fun things that graduate students do like to do. So it was fine. I wasn't the only person. There were quite a few other returning students. We were always generally the most, I don't want to say the best students, the most serious students. So we probably dominated in many ways the program because we were most serious and we did very well. Once you got your PhD, what was it like going out and finding a new role? Well, we had the two-body problem, as we call it in science. My husband and I both needed to get jobs, and we were both on the market at the same time. He also got his PhD later in life. And so we decided that whoever got an offer, an academic tenure-track offer, the other person would go and accompanied that person. And it was he that got the offer. After I first, the first job I got after my PhD was a postdoc. I did my postdoc at the Harvard Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics, which is a really terrific place. So he got a job at Cornell and I went with him. And I didn't really have a regular job, but I managed to get a really exciting and interesting job at the Cornell Theory Center working on computation, on computers 
with a lot of other computational scientists in all different fields. And I ended up being a manager. And uh, that sounds fancier than it is because scientists really don't need much in the way of management. But it was a great job. I enjoyed it very, very much. I got time to do research. I worked on a lot of other things and it was a very, it was a very nice job. Then he moved to Wayne State University and I also had a non-traditional job there. I was a research scientist. And at first my, for most of the time I was there, I was charged with also advancing scientific computing on the campus. And that was fun. I got to teach courses that were not traditional and I got to do research. Uh, I had a lot of great collaborators, some very nice students and postdocs. So in all in all, I think it was a good career, but it wasn't a traditional one. And I think that happens a lot with people who enter later in life. After I retired then, that's when I decided to work as a rotator at the National Science Foundation. I love that you're doing this in your retirement. (laughs) I was retired all of two months. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do with myself? (laughs) Well, when you have a brilliant brain like that, you need to, you know, I think it brings more satisfaction when you're actually using it. Well, I don't know about the brilliant brain, but I do have a lot of training and I do have a lot of interests. And so I think when I was working as a research professor at, at Wayne State, and even before that, I had the opportunity to review grant proposals and to serve on NSF panels. And I always enjoyed it. And I thought they were really great people that worked there. And I thought it might be fun to work on the other side, the side where you're actually not reviewing, but organizing and managing the review process. And I guess I should say a little bit about NSF and what it does, how it's structured. So it's a medium-sized federal agency, and we support fundamental research in science and engineering in social science and in science education. I may have left something out, but generally those things, computer science, of course. Scientists submit research proposals. We manage the review, and then we make recommendations for which ones should be funded. And the people who do this are called program officers, the technical staff. We have also a wonderful administrative staff, but I'm not going to be talking about them. And most of the technical staff or a large portion of them are rotators and they come for two years. And that's what I thought I was going to do. Just come for two years and then go back. Either I was going to retire again or people go back into academia, whatever, wherever they came from. But some rotators get bit by the bug and decide they really, really want to become permanent. That's what happened to me. And so I became a permanent federal employee. And most of us are not young. So we, unlike a lot of other occupations, being young as a, as a program officer is not a recommendation. We want people to have experience. We want them to have already established their research careers so they're not spending all their time doing that. That's, you know, that's what you do when you're in your early in your career. We want them to have a perspective, a broad perspective on the field and to be able to withstand a great deal of pressure from the community, sometimes you decline a lot of proposals. So you have to be have a, a mature perspective and be able to take criticism. Mm-hmm. You need to take it from all different sides. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you have to have empathy, you have to be able to understand people and where they're coming from and all kinds of things that you gain with maturity. And you also have to be taken seriously by the people who you know, the community that you're making the decisions for. 
So this is a good area for later on in life type of role. Right. It is. It's a great area. Unfortunately, for most people, you have to be in the field. You have to have a certain, you know, the qualifications. And we're generally looking for people. It's not always that easy for us to find people. We often are short-staffed because it requires a certain combination. You have to be willing to do it. And then you have to also show that you are capable of doing it. And it's not just being a good researcher isn't enough. You have to have a certain perspective. And it's also a ton of work. Would you say science is just a good industry in general for respect towards people who have more experience in their field? I think it is, it depends on what you want to do. I think for academics, if you want a traditional academic career, it's generally best to start young, go the standard route of getting your degree and then getting a postdoc. And then, and then if you're lucky getting an academic job, it's, you know, they're, they're not very many. There are many, many more. So it's very difficult. There are many more applicants than there are jobs. And then, of course, you have to get tenure, which is not easy. But once you do all that, and so you're young and you're energetic and you're hardworking and you're competitive, then the reality is that in the middle of your career, it may, it may be the most difficult time. Once you get past the middle of your career and you become you know, very well established, then things ease up a lot. Would you say the middle is difficult because you're having to work so hard at that establishment? There are a lot of reasons. It's really not something we talk about a lot. We aren't really sure. You're competing with both the younger people who are doing crazy new things and you're competing with the established people who have made a name for themselves and have, you know, maybe little empires. I'm not not saying that to put them down. I'm just saying that they do have a reputation and a certain eminence. Sometimes mostly it's deserved, not always. You're kind of like maybe what you've been doing all this time, it's sort of like a maybe a scientific midlife crisis. Maybe what you're doing all this time didn't pan out quite the way you thought it would, or maybe it's there are better ways of doing it and younger people are doing that. Maybe you should retool. You're no longer looked at as a young person who's got all the promise ahead of them but you haven't quite made it to the mature status. And so you're kind of in this in-between limbo. Not everybody, of course, goes through that, but it's the dangerous time, as far as I can tell, for people's careers. You know, they already have a job. They're not going to lose their job, but whether they're going to advance their careers, get funding, attract graduate students and postdocs, which is what you really need to do. Now, if you want to go into industry, or maybe even do national labs, I think it is a good career move for someone older. But I think for if you really want an academic career, it's probably much more difficult. But there are people who've done it, so I'm not saying it's not true. You just said there, though, I think you're probably going to make a lot of people feel more normal (laughs) who are going through that right now. What would you say has been the path for your own success? Well, to the extent that I'm successful... And I don't know that I'm successful, but I've had a, you know, an enjoyable time and I wouldn't, you know, trade any of it. I think it's just the same as for anyone. Hard work, tenacity, not giving up from in my field, you know, just just being stubborn, attention to detail and a great deal of worry about getting everything right. So I always tell my husband that the best scientists are very neurotic. They wake up in the middle of the night and worry about something they might have done wrong. You know, always questioning yourself. I, you know, am I really thinking about this the right way? Is there a better way I could be doing it? 
being open to new ideas and being able more and more in science is becoming much more collegial. And so you really need to work and be able to work in a team to work with colleagues. And in my current job, where I think I have been very successful, it's really being open to new ideas, having a closed mind, learning, being able to learn things, to be fair-minded. I think that's really important, not being biased. I think that's important at all levels. I agree. I think that's really important everywhere right now. Right. Very important. And caring. Whatever it is you're doing, you need to care about it. And if you don't, it's going to show. I always tell people when young scientists call me up and ask me, you know, should they change their research project? And they try to find out what's flashy or what's new or what people are wanting to see. I tell them, do what you're passionate about. Don't change your research project just because you think this is what other people think is important. Do what you think is important. It'll show. It shows if you're not being sincere. Yes. Do not change your mind because of what other people think. Right. Don't change your mind. Don't change your project. Don't try to second guess what everybody else is going to think is important. If you think something's important, convince them that it is. If you think something is wonderful, convince other people that it's wonderful. Oh, I agree. I love that. Yes. So some of these things I think are really important in any field. Some of them are particularly special, maybe to science. A lot of that's important in almost any field. Yeah. Have you ever experienced ageism personally in the workforce? I don't think I've ever experienced ageism as such. As I said, when you enter a field later in life, it's not easy. And there are other people who are in my situation who are trying to break into academics or science later on in life. And even some men, for a variety of reasons, might enter. And it's often not easy for them. You're competing with a bunch of very ambitious, very well-trained and very talented group of younger people who've gone a traditional route, have great pedigrees, etc., So you may not make it in a standard career path, but there are often less traditional roles that are, there are plenty of them that exist. And you might, in fact, get one of those, or you might actually be lucky or get the job that you really want, particularly if there are openings in in that area. And if you have skills and talents that are really high in demand, like But right now, you know, there are many great jobs in industry. And for example, if you are interested in machine learning, artificial intelligence, and you get into that later in life, and you, some of the best jobs are in industry, and you'll have opportunities, you know, if that's really what you want to do. There have been attempts, NSF has tried, and other agencies have tried to address the issue of people who have had to take a break for one reason or another, or enter science by untraditional career paths. And you know, there are some opportunities and some people have taken advantage of those and have done very well. But I don't know that I've experienced anything remotely like ageism. Um, in fact, it's just kind of the opposite. I'm 78 years old and I want to retire and I'm going to retire. And everybody, all my colleagues say, are you sure you want to retire? <laughs> <laughs> That's I wonderful. It is. But I definitely think that every workplace needs a mix of just like it needs diversity in ethnicity and diversity in gender. It needs diversity of age because 
where everybody brings something to the table. Young people have more energy and stamina, but they're often less experienced, less efficient. So when I first started my job at NSF, it took me like three times as long to get what, you know, what I could do in an hour and out took me three hours at least. And so I think diversity, it's just been shown that having a diverse workforce, at least that's why I keep reading and seeing these studies that showing having a diverse workforce in every respect makes a more successful business or industry or even an academic department. So I think that to have everybody be young and is foolish or to have everybody be young and very old is also foolish. You need the entire spectrum. Is there any advice that you would give someone in the you know 40 plus category or someone who has dealt with ageism or struggling with that in their own lives? Well, I don't know that I'm actually an expert at all on this. I think it depends on your field and the industry and the situation and the challenges that you're facing. I mean, in, if it's an individual challenge that you're facing, it, it can be just persistence, not giving up. Or sometimes it may be retooling or getting uh, new skills or a better perspective. But, you know, also having confidence. If you're over 40, you definitely have knowledge, experience, skills that you bring to the table. And you should use that to, to your advantage. So I think you should not be apologetic at all about having those skills and having the years that go with them. But if it's a personal thing. And I think those attitudes are what will serve you well. However, if it's a systemic, it's very difficult in an individual case to prove that you've been discriminated against. You know, they can always bring other factors into it. And so it's very hard. But if you do believe that there's systemic age discrimination in your industry, then I think you need to get together with other people in one way or another organized to fight it. I don't know exactly what you would do or how you would do it, but that would be my only advice because I don't see that one person individually can really challenge the system. You can work harder to get, you know, to advance yourself and perhaps you will be successful. You know, I'm curious. I was thinking about this as you were talking because you mentioned that you joined the current agency after you retired which the average age for people retiring is 65. So you've essentially worked 13 years after retirement. Yeah, I've been there 12 years. Yeah. Okay, so 12 years. So what are you most proud of doing, would you say, in the past 12 years? What am I most proud of doing? I guess the thing I've enjoyed the most, I don't know if I... Well, there's a couple of things that I'm most proud of. I'm proud of some of the initiatives that I've worked on. My activities I got when I was at NSF, I got very, very interested in in quantum information and quantum computing, particularly I love computers and I love chemistry. So how that applies to chemistry. So I I love quantum mechanics. So I got very interested in that. And I I think helped with several new projects along with other people. I'm not proud of it on my own, but along with others to advance some of these programs and initiatives at NSF. So that's one of the things I'm proud of. I suppose the other thing that I most enjoy doing, and it really isn't something I'm proud of necessarily, but that I, I it gives me satisfaction is just helping talk to young 
faculty members, particularly those who maybe their proposals have been declined and they really are looking for direction and guidance as to how to strengthen their proposals and their ideas and what to do. And so just talking to them and, and trying to, in the smallest ways possible, support their research and their careers, that that gives me the most satisfaction. I can only imagine the impact you've had on those people throughout all these years. Well, yeah, me and my colleagues. I work with a wonderful, wonderful group of people. So they all do the same thing. So they've had impact also. But yes, that's, I think, one of the things that most of us enjoy the most about our job is helping young people get their bearing. Those are the things. Working on initiatives, but there are lots of other things too. I just can't think of them all. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, all the projects that you worked on in the past 12 years, it's, it's really mind boggling to think about all the things that you did during that time when, you know, many others it would be retired, if you will. So I think it's wonderful. Is there anything that I haven't asked that I should have? I would say that I'm fortunate in that I, I work in a field where you can contribute after you retire. I think that doesn't necessarily true for a lot of people, but there are things that people can do, I think, to keep giving back and to help in areas that they're interested in. But most of the time, I think it's volunteering for us in science and in academics. Working in these agencies at a later age is just a way we can actually keep contributing to our fields at a later age. I don't think that option is there for everybody. But there's avenues that can be worked out. And there's definitely, where there's a will, there's a way. So, I think so, yeah. It keeps you going. I'm going to retire, though, this year. But I am going to still keep doing science as long as I'm alive and have a break. So still work on little things that bring you interest. Yes. Fantastic. I think it's a great idea. Thank you so much for your time. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you spending the time to talk with me, Evie. I loved it. And I think that you're inspirational. I loved learning about Evie's life and I am impressed with what she's accomplished. I have so much admiration for her going and getting her PhD later in life and then continuing to feed that thirst for more knowledge through the years. I love that she continued to tackle new, different fruitful roles in her later years, and then when most are deciding to retire, she joined the National Science Foundation and spent the past 12 years helping scientists advance their research in a variety of ways. It amazes me to think of the level of impact that this one woman has had on science over the years, from quantum sciences to cyber infrastructure, and now COVID. It's truly inspirational. I enjoyed learning about the National Science Foundation, what they do and the roles of program directors. I want to give a huge personal thank you to everyone in the organization for the important work that you are doing. We need you. And this is an industry I haven't known much about, and it's really piqued my interest to learn a lot more. When Evie talked about what she loved the most about her job, it highlighted to me one of the most important aspects of life. She loves that they are continuously learning. They are always learning about new cutting edge areas of research and whole new fields of topics that that may not necessarily be in their wheelhouse. And to me, this is key. This 
is what keeps Evie and I would imagine the other directors going. The continuously learning. And people, this is what keeps us youthful. Never, ever stop learning. I appreciated Evie's overall advice as well, as we are all in different stages and situations. Persistence is always needed in whatever endeavor you are undertaking. But sometimes in life, you do need to take a step back and make sure you have the right perspective. Are you moving in the right direction? Should you retool? Should you get new skills or change your way of thinking? She reminds us that if we are over 40, we have those unique skills at our disposal. And if we play to our strengths, we always have something valuable to offer, even if you're going in a new direction. She touched on a very important message in there as well that I want to reiterate. Be your own most ardent supporter. I mean, if you won't do it for yourself, who will? She reminds us to band together and fight any systematic discrimination happening in your industry, any kind of discrimination in relation to age, race, ethnicity, gender, or sexual orientation should not be allowed to continue. And together, all things are possible. Finally, she reminds us to give thanks and appreciation for all of the people who support us along the way. Thanks again to Evie. And thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank you for spending time with us on Fresh Blood. If you love this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, or giving us a review. I'm looking forward to connecting with you again on the next episode.